0: back to this one's a doozy i'm kevin and i'm Haley, and we talk about stories of mystery true crime and folklore of the unusual unsettling and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today yesterday and long long ago
1: ago. wow you got it you knew it i knew it
0: you got it memorized too at this point i think
1: yes welcome (laughs) to our second bonus episode of spooky season
0: spooky season bonus episode 2 aka Regular episode twenty one.
1: Yeah. We've done this twenty one times. We've done this more than twenty one times. We
0: definitely have, but those episodes are lost in time. Or just
1: in your little storage
0: box. Oh yeah, that's where they are.
1: Yeah. Magic storage box. Well, yeah.
0: We uh <laughs> we have a sad husky upstairs.
1: Oh, he is he is calling out to us yeah. in the throes of, of his oh, woes.
0: Oh poor Appa. How will he ever make it? How will he make it? Oh, no. I can hear you
1: talking, but you're not petting me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's really not cool.
0: Well, here we are, ready to do another episode. And first question that we must answer, what are you drinking tonight?
1: You know, I got one of those really fancy Starbucks cups. I've always said no. That's true. I've always resisted buying the fancy Starbucks cups, but... All I said was to the barista, I said, oh my goodness, the green ones are so cute. She goes, they glow in the dark. (laughs) I was like, I'll take 20.
0: That's how you knew. Yeah, so I
1: bought one. I didn't buy 20, (laughs) but I use it for everything. So tonight I filled it full of ice water. Wow. Very, very high end. Very high Tap water. Yeah.
0: Is it the triple-filtrated ice water from Starbucks? It's not.
1: It's just regular old water from our sink. Nice. Yep. What are you drinking?
0: Well, I had one more of my absolute favorite infusion vanilla bean beers. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'm going to save this for the next time I record. So here we are. And Mm. I'm drinking that. Perfect. Mm -hmm. That's that's a perfect
1: night for it. Well, since Mm -hmm. this is a bonus episode, I don't have a feel good fact. That's okay. But I do have some scary stories for you.
0: All right. Let's get into it.
1: All right. So I'm not going to waste much time introducing it. For this bonus episode, we're going to be talking about a few extremely eerie and incredibly mysterious disappearances. Mm. So throw some bales on the hay rack, grab a cider donut and buckle up because this
0: one's a doozy. Nice. I loved all of that.
1: Very fall. I'm aiming for fall activities. Yes.
0: Yes. That has the pumpkin patch written all over it. It
1: does. (laughs) Okay. So the first disappearance I'm going to tell you about is about the disappearance and reappearance of a little boy in September of 2011, this story first popped up at the end of 2012 in an online forum. From from what I can tell, I could be wrong that it was other places first, but I think that's at least where it got traction. Mm, okay. So, the grandmother of a little boy wrote about her family's experience on above topsecret.com, and it quickly gained attention due to its strangeness. Before I begin, I have a note that there is a lot of dispute. Uh, about if the poster of this story is actually the grandmother. Oh, okay. But regardless, this story has been talked about by some pretty big names and has been reported in the local newspaper where it happened. So I'm going to go with it. Yeah. So the story goes like this. A three-year-old boy was camping at the Fowler Campground with his family near the McLeod River and Shasta Trinity National Forest in Northern California.
0: Oh, yeah. I know where that's at. Yeah, you do. I have been there.
1: You have. I have not. I... (laughs) Didn't really understand the geography of the area, so from what I gathered, it's either near Mount Shasta or in Mount Shasta.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you you would I you know might ex- actually know I, where this specific place is.
0: I I have been to Mount Shasta, so.
1: But have I, you been to the McLeod River?
0: Probably area. not, but okay. maybe.
1: <laughs> Just look back in your memories on Facebook. <laughs> That's what I'll do. Yeah. Okay, so the grandma didn't name the little boy in her post, but says that the less alarming version of his story was featured in the McLeod newspaper shortly after the event occurred. For the sake of the story, we're going to call him John. Most of the time, they just call him John Doe, so we're going to call him John. Okay. So this is a story that Missing 411 author David Politis talked about in an interview with George Knapp one of the Hunt for the Skinwalker co-authors. So I thought that was interesting. He also referred to the boy as John Doe. So little John was playing with his dog at the campsite when suddenly the two of them were nowhere to be seen. Like they were there, everybody saw them, they're playing, suddenly they're gone. Mm. This was around 7.30 p.m., his dad said they were there one second, and the next second they were gone. Immediately, his parents sprung into action, and within a very short period of time, droves of searchers were flooding the area in hopes of finding the little boy safe and sound. They quickly found the dog, but they couldn't find John. Oh, no. I know. It's my, like, worst nightmare. Yeah. As the hours wore on and it got darker outside, searchers began to grow concerned that maybe John had fallen into the river, or that he'd been abducted, or that some other awful thing had mm-hmm. happened to him. hmm Which, once again, every parent's worst nightmare, but I'm just going to not bury the lead here. The story does not end in tragedy. Okay. I can't take waiting when it involves a little kid. (laughs) So the searchers were doing what's called a grid search, which is exactly what it sounds like. Sections of the campground and the surrounding area were separated into grids, and then groups were assigned to each grid to conduct their search. So when one of the groups found some child-sized footprints along the river, they brought in canine searchers and zeroed in on that area.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Around 12.45 a.m., John was found crouched under a bush, shivering and obviously shaken up, but otherwise unharmed. Mm. It was a happy ending. And this is where the story gets creepy. Mm. So three weeks after John's disappearance and reappearance, he was visiting his grandma, Kathy. He was talking with her and... Boy, did he have a story to tell. Out of the blue, he said to her, quote, I don't like my other grandma, Cappy. He called his grandma Cappy as like a nickname, probably because he couldn't say Kathy, which is cute. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you you say a nickname one time to Mm -hmm. a grandparent and it is stuck forever. That
0: is your name. You spend
1: your twilight years as Cappy, you know.
0: Yep. You get named Poopaw by a (laughs) (laughs) barely speaking 18 month old and you are now Poopaw. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. So she was like, okay, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm the only grandma Cappy. And he said back to her, don't you remember when I was lost in the woods? Well, the other grandma Cappy grabbed me and took me to a creepy place. She's really a robot. (laughs) Initially, the grandma thought that he was telling a fun little make-believe story. Mm -hmm. So she went along with it and asked him, what was creepy about it? And why do you think she was a robot? John went on to tell her a deeply disturbing story in response. He said that the other Grandma Cappy had taken him to a cave that was filled with spiders, purses, and guns. And that when she climbed a ladder, the light made her look like a robot. Mm. He said he was too scared to move or do anything. But when he looked around, there were other robots too, but they didn't move. What? Right. That is my question. What? What? <laughs> The grandma asked John what the other grandma Cappy did with him while he was in the cave. And he said that she made him lay down so she could look at his tummy. She then tried to make him go number two on what he called a sticky paper. But he wasn't able to go. So she sat him up, told him that he was from outer space and that they put him in his mom's tummy. She then took John back to the river and told him to wait and hide underneath a bush until someone had found him. So thinking that maybe he watched a strange show or something like that, some fantasy weird thing that he saw on TV and or he made it up, Mm -hmm. you know, to process. He's a three year old. Right. Right. We're going to make believe stories to process crazy things. And we still do that as grownups. So initially she was actually kind of mad at the parents. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) I think she was talking to his dad and she was basically like, what are you? what are you letting him watch that would make him come up with a story like
0: this?
1: (laughs) She told the dad, the story that John had told her about his time with the other grandma, Cappy. The dad said he told them the same story and that they just chalked it up to him being a little boy with an overactive imagination. The grandma understood this line of reasoning, but the details felt really specific and they were so strange, specifically the detail of John being asked to go number two on a sticky paper. What show or book or whatever would have something like that? that Where would he have seen anything like that? You know, even if it wasn't a show. So the dad actually asked Kathy not to bring up the story to John again. Like we don't want to create a false memory by Mm -hmm. repeating this story and we don't want to make him think about it again. Right. It's like the more we talk about it, the more life we give it. So let's not do that, which makes sense. And I agree with that call mostly. Sure. Yeah. So for a while she left it alone. She included that in her post That Another big reason why his story was unsettling to her was because a year before John's big adventure in the forest, she had also had a strange experience while camping in the same area. She recalled that she'd gone to bed in her tent inside of a sleeping bag. She woke up in the middle of the night out of her sleeping bag, out of her tent, and face down in the dirt. This was not normal for her. She was not one to go sleepwalking or to fall asleep face down in the dirt. Yeah. So what was weirder was that she also had a puncture wound on the back of her head. Shortly after this, she became violently ill. She said that she was too sick and tired to even pack, that she felt empty and emotionless on top of feeling super sick. A friend of hers was camping in a camper that same night, and he also had a puncture wound that looked like hers, and he also got violently ill. What? She also noted that during this specific visit, there was a disturbing lack of wildlife. As an avid camper in the area, she said that the place was always crawling with wildlife of all kinds, but Mm. for whatever reason, not this time. She said that she and her friends had noticed red eyes in the woods before they went to bed, but they thought maybe it was just deer trying to make their way across the campground so they could get to the river, but they never were able to confirm that, obviously.
0: Yeah, that is also a very specific oddity to see and...
1: I think the red is what stands out to me because like when light catches an animal's eye, even if it's something like firelight, I just don't normally see red. Red. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we're on the same page with that. Mm -hmm. She also said that the only confirmed animals that they saw that night were two crows that were perched on a branch that watched them for a long period of time. Her friend checked wildlife cameras as well, but there were no animals at all on any of the cameras, which was super out of the norm. Weird. Yeah, it's just weird. So she went on to talk about the David Politis books, the Missing 411 series. Um, and for those who don't know, the Missing 411 stories chronicle all kinds of bizarre stories of people who go missing in North American wilderness. Hmm. And I mean, the the key with these is that they're always weird. Whether somebody's recovered or not, something very unexplained seems to be okay. happening. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. So I'll talk more about this later. So the conspiracy here that she says that Politus brings up in his missing 411 books is that there are so many bizarre occurrences surrounding disappearances in forests and that he and others wonder if there's another more sinister reason that chunks of land, specifically like national parks, are getting closed down to the public. Hmm. And that that's happening more frequently. Hmm. So like it's what are they hiding from us is sure. kind of the idea. Yeah. So she put her grandson's story out there just to see what others thought. At the time that she'd posted it, he was almost five years old and was still sticking with his story. The only detail that had changed was that he was in a dungeon, not a cave, but every other detail was the exact same.
0: So do with that that what you will.
1: (laughs) No, me neither. Do with it what you will. But I'll be sure to link the grandma's post and the news article about the disappearance and reappearance of little John Doe. So that's the first story. Okay. Well, and I've seen other renditions of it and other like more specific, more detailed versions of it where like the little boy would say that the grandma's face was sparking. There was like electrical sparks coming out of her and that the other mm. robots looked like people, but they also looked like robots. Interesting. Yeah. I don't like any of that. <laughs> Even if he made that up, I'm like, you're going to time out for that. <laughs> you're in trouble. You
0: No, you're not allowed. You don't get TV ever again.
1: Yeah, no TV for you. No TV. They'll find it anywhere, though. They'll find it in a book. They're, they'll find yeah, it It's true. in academia. Wow.
0: Well, and I just, any story like that where there's a kid who recounts like humanoid sorts of mm-hmm. characters, I just... I I don't know. I don't know at what age you start like reimagining humanoid. Like usually you think of really crazy things like dragons and Mm -hmm. creatures that don't seem like humans, but he's explaining. Or a monster. Yeah. But this
1: one looked exactly like his grandma, except a robot.
0: But a robot. Exactly. Weird. It's kind of strange. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move on to the next story. This is not a missing 411. Um, but we're going to talk about the disappearance of Margaret Clements, otherwise known as the lady of the swamp. Margaret Clements was born on March 8th, 1881 in prospect Victoria, which is in Australia. Hmm. She was one of six children born to Peter and Jane Clements. So Peter Clements was an investor and shareholder in gold and quartz mining. And he was part of the Victorian company that owned long tunnel mine, which was a serious moneymaker. He also bought prospect station, which I'm not sure exactly what that is but he owned it.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he owned it.
0: So, yeah, just we Google it. Yeah.
1: We know that. I yeah. So, Peter sadly died in 1890, leaving his pregnant wife to care for herself, her pregnancy and five other kids on her own. The good news for them was that they were very wealthy. At the mm. time that Peter died, he had left them a fortune that would equate to roughly Eight million dollars today.
0: No way. Oh, my so they gosh. would
1: at bare minimum. You can't yeah. with money, you can't replace the support of a loving spouse. But it does but help $8 million dollars. Give some resources.
0: Yes. I, I mean, know that's what you're about to say is I'd
1: be okay to have eight million dollars, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> not at the expense of losing my PIC. Yeah. My partner in crime. Yeah.
0: But my partner
1: eight, in non crime.
0: Eight million dollars would make it a little bit more bearable.
1: True. <laughs> Okay, so the family moved to Melbourne and spent the following years traveling around Europe and the Far East, and they also enjoyed entertaining. By the time that Margaret and her sister Jeannie were unmarried adults, their brother, Peter Jr., helped them buy a homestead called the Tullery. Some sources say that they used this land as a farm and livestock opportunity, while others were a little bit more unclear about what the purpose of the property was. Hmm. But regardless, it was theirs, and it was huge. There were 20 rooms in the house and the massive property was surrounded by controlled swampland in South Gippsland, Australia. Peter had stayed with them for a few years to kind of help them manage the property, but he moved out in 1912 when he got married. When he left, the two sisters remained in the home um, and they hired on help to try and manage the property. But there were plenty of issues with the different people that they'd hired to directly manage and oversee the property. People had taken advantage of these women and their inherited wealth that they were quickly blowing through, as well as their naivety. The uh, long and short of it is that they basically just totally got pooched over. Yeah, oh, People dang. saw vulnerable, kind of clueless, wealthy women and mm-hmm. said, I'll help you manage your stuff, and then took and their then, money. Yeah. So it wasn't just these things that weren't super awesome for the Clement sisters. They were basically just blowing through money. They continued throwing lavish parties, buying expensive clothes, plus being taken advantage of by multiple employees over the course of time. These things all led to the sisters experiencing some pretty serious poverty by the mid-1920s. Wow. Due to a specific caveat on the house title, they weren't evicted from their home, but they did lose pretty much everything that was valuable. And when we consider the fact that they'd grown up mm-hmm. and got accustomed to a certain lifestyle— yeah. Even though they maintained their home, they lost all of their money, all of their possessions. Wow. They've got nothing. Wow. And that was, nor- you know, it was normal for them to have excess. Yeah. It's like I can have compassion for how much of a flip that would be. Yeah. So the home quickly began to deteriorate. The lawn became overgrown with weeds. The house faded into disrepair. The swamp channels were all clogged up, causing the swamp to inch closer and closer to the once beautiful and luxurious home, which resulted in the exterior and the floorboards and window panes of the interior beginning to rot and disintegrate. So it was literally falling apart. Yeah. Their beautiful, expensive clothes were replaced with tattered rags. Rats and vermin began invading the home. The home became the polar opposite of what it once was from rich extravagance to absolute squalor. By the time the women were in their thirties, they owed thousands of dollars to banks and they both became very withdrawn. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Jeannie became sick and dependent on her sister for care. And so Margaret also was left to be in charge of getting their food and supplies. She would make long hikes into town or to her neighbor's home for a small little weekly food supply. She'd just like stock up once a week Hmm. and she'd have to go through this swamp.
0: Like Ooh. by herself, which <laughs> okay. is no joke. Yeah. And I f- I feel like, yeah, 1920s, there's like not very many motorized vehicles, let alone the fact that they're in extreme poverty, so they wouldn't have any anyway.
1: And they're kind of on an isolated, large, yeah. swampy
0: land. Trying to get, th- yeah, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I don't even like walking in <laughs> in when it's more than 90 degrees. Just because it's uncomfortable. Right. Like general
1: discomfort is too much for me. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. I've I've gotten used to a certain lifestyle too, so I understand them.
1: Yeah, you get it. Well, and I mean, things continued like this for a long time for them. Yeah. From what I could gather, the general public didn't know, or at least they didn't fully understand the seriousness of the situation until Jeannie passed away in July of 1950. It took a team of eight men to trudge through miles of land that the swamp had taken over, and they were all shocked and saddened by the state of the home. A crumbling disaster with blackberries as tall as the house, rusty food tins littering the perimeter of the home that didn't even have access to a water pump at that point. Oh, I mean, it was just a disaster. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: One of these officers, saddened by the way that these women had been living for the last several years, came back and tried his darndest to convince Margaret to leave the property. She refused to leave and became even more reclusive after her sister died. Mm. The public took a sort of morbid fascination with her situation. She was dubbed by a local newspaper as, quote, the Lady of the Swamp, (laughs) which is funny, but it also makes me a little sad.
0: Yes, it it also makes me think of Shrek, so I'm kind of like kind of funny he's like the (laughs) hero exactly that's why it's a good thing but it's also get out of my swamp, anyway
1: (laughs) (laughs) a little on the goof tunes tonight a little bit the article written by the local newspaper described her as an eccentric old woman who carried her meager belongings in a sugar bag on her back that she read detective stories by a kerosene lamp in the dark living off of the joys of old social glories with only her dog dingo to keep her company while those things were mostly true, it does still make me sad that, like, nobody really helped her. I know yeah. the officer tried, and there's only so much that you can do with someone who does not want to leave. Yeah. But I don't know. It seems like they saw somebody, made a spectacle out of her, and then she kind of just faded back into obscurity.
0: Yeah. That's you know kind of I mean? sad. Well, it, it's, it's sad to hear about something like that when somebody, um, when somebody just wants their life that they've always known, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure she wouldn't have rejected somebody wanting to give her wealth again, mm-hmm. you know. Sure, but she didn't have any interest. It sounds like mm-hmm. in in re-entering society to get back to that point, right? So I don't know. It's kind of a catch twenty two. It sounds like. Well, and what
1: her? I don't know what her options even would have been. You know. Right. Once they, once she left, where was she going to go? You know?
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't know if maybe he did discuss that with her. And that's just not something that's on record that like we have access to, but yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah sure. He, I'm, I'm glad that that guy tried and it seems like people's hands were kind of tied to an extent, but yeah, yeah. it's just a bummer. Hmm. So anyways, in 1951, a year after Margaret's moment in the news, a farmer local to the area named Stanley Livingstone purchased a small portion of the land that was attached to Margaret's property at Tullery. He'd had a shack built on a portion of the land that he bought that wasn't flooded with swamp water. Hmm. Initially, it seemed like Stanley and his wife Esme were welcome additions to the property and Margaret would join them for meals in their home from time to time. Over the next few months, they would convinced Margaret to sell them the rest of the land at Tullery, but under the condition that they would build her a cottage on the land and that they would restore the old home and sort of bring it back to life. Hmm. They agreed, but it would never come to fruition, because in May of 1952, Margaret disappeared without a trace. Oh! On the evening of May 20th, 1952, Stanley had heard the dogs on the property barking loudly, like something was up. Uh He went to investigate, but he didn't see anyone, or even a trace of anyone having been there, so he just went back to bed. The next day, May 21st, 1952, he called Margaret, but she didn't answer. Investigators searched through Margaret's dilapidated old home, her cottage, and through the swamp for a full week before news of her disappearance hit the community and, more importantly, the news. Mm. And sidebar before I keep going, because I do believe that this detail is relevant. Content warning.
0: Okay.
1: I'm going to share a quick tidbit. That is violence against animals. And it's sad. So, skip ahead if you don't want to hear okay. about that. So, two weeks before Margaret had disappeared, her dog Dingo was found with his throat cut. Oh, like obviously cut with an instrument, not like attacked by a wild animal. Oh, no. Nobody knew why this happened, but it was done by a person. Yeah. So,
0: okay. So, that's important context for someone to go missing.
1: Mm hmm. There's like a level of threat there, it feels like. So jumping back in, Margaret's disappearance was an instant media sensation, with theories flying around left and right about what could have happened to her and where she could have gone. Sensationalized headlines about the lady of the swamp flew, along with whimsical stories ranging from a fight over secret buried treasure to an abduction, murder, or some other form of what they referred to as skullduggery, Hmm. which is a fun synonym for trickery. Which is also a fun word. It's true. Skullduggery. I've never heard that word before. Me neither. Police initially didn't suspect any kind of foul play, so they assumed that perhaps Margaret had wandered off and gotten lost in the swamp. This theory was dismissed by anyone who had any level of interaction with Margaret. Everyone who knew her or had interacted with her at all claimed that even though she was 72 years old at this point, Margaret knew this swamp like the back of her hand. Mm. That, coupled with the fact that Margaret had used a walking stick or cane of some sort, the idea that she wandered off without it made no sense. Yeah. So when they searched her home, Uh cane was there. Yeah. Bed was unslept in.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's like she she
1: literally just disappeared. Yeah. So with her walking stick missing, it didn't make a ton of sense. She relied on it in order to be able to walk around at all. So Mm -hmm. her walking stick being found in the home and left where she always left it was kind of a red flag. Right. It became pretty obvious that the least logical potential lead was that the lady of the swamp got lost in the swamp. Right. (laughs) I mean, this lady would wade through these very waters with the help of her cane so that she could go shopping every week. Even though this wasn't the most likely scenario, investigators did trudge through as much of the swamp as they could, even using poles and hooks to help them navigate and sift through the deepest parts of the swamp. After one full week of searching, there was seemingly no trace of Margaret at all. Hmm but there was an interesting potential lead that would come up during this process. Apparently the Livingstones were worried that the police intended to drain the swamp. People around town heard Mm, them talking that they didn't want them to, to drain the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. Why? So this raised suspicions that maybe the couple had done something to Margaret for the sake of gaining full ownership of Tullery, or at the very least, maybe they knew what did happen to her. Right. Coincidentally, wink, wink. It was around this time that multiple people who were local to the area came forward with the same strange story. These people claimed that a group of men that nobody in town recognized had rolled up in a black car asking where they could find the swamp lady. What did those guys want? She didn't have a friend in the world. Who are these people? In another story that I believe was told by one of the Livingstones, there was one day that they, accompanied by Margaret, drove out to a location where there was an active bushfire. I think they were trying to put it out or they were like trying to keep it from reaching their homes. But while they were there, Esme and Margaret got out of the car when they were suddenly ambushed by two men who were yelling things at them. Not sure what they were yelling, but they Ugh. were yelling at them. So when Stanley went over to see what was going on, the men ran off with no real explanation. Hmm. Nobody really knows what that was about.
0: Well, and why would you get out and start shouting it at elderly women? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's very weird. There's a lot of, Okay. So
1: it was also discovered that at some point, the Livingstones did manage to get Margaret to agree to signing over the full property to them Hmm. with the conditions that she laid out when they first swooped in. So she gets a cottage, you guys maintain everything else, and you're going to restore the homestead to its former glory, even if I don't get to see it. That's the agreement, Hmm. which is a sweet deal.
0: That's a sweet deal.
1: And I can't imagine anybody saying, oh, we can't you know, hunker down and stick it out for a few more years and be kind to our neighbor in her twilight years. Right. Before we gain full access to this. Yeah. 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 That doesn't make any sense to me. So before Stanley died, he had taken ownership of Tullery, drained the swamp and sold the land for over $250,000, which is significantly more than he bought it for. He would die a millionaire. So that's definitely interesting. Yeah. So years went by many years in 1978. Female remains were discovered in the sand dunes at Venus Bay, which is four kilometers or about two and a half miles away from the tollery. The mm. bones weren't able to get a definitive identification, but they were able to determine that the bones belonged to an elderly woman. But there was some dispute as to whether the bones belonged to an aboriginal woman or a European woman. Around 10 years before this discovery, a shovel and hammer were found in the area, And then in 1979, a year after the bones were discovered, a woman's shawl, a 1940s handbag, and coins that predated Margaret's disappearance were also discovered in the same area. The unfortunate thing about all of this is that none of these things can be confirmed as belonging to Margaret, not even the remains. So all we have left is theories. Mm. The theories, for the most part, pretty much begin and end with the Living Stones. During the later investigation, Detective Senior Sergeant David Townsend was the front runner for pursuing all leads that had to do with the Livingstones. after he'd been handed the case. Over the course of many years, it would become pretty obvious that Stanley was a scary man. Um, Maybe he didn't kill Margaret, but there's enough stories of him doing scary stuff that that kind of sent some hmm. red flags in Townsend's mind. Multiple witnesses that were questioned over the years told them that before Stanley had died... Esme had confided in them that Stanley had been hurting her physically, some even saying that Esme told them that Stanley had killed Margaret and threatened Esme into keeping quiet.
0: Ew.
1: One friend in particular, Jean Leslie Sharp, had managed to give specific details. Esme had allegedly witnessed Stanley force Margaret into signing the documents granting the Livingstones full ownership of Tullery, but he did so at gunpoint. Sharp said that the Livingstones arranged for Margaret to be murdered, which would definitely make sense out of the strange men in the black car that were looking for the swamp lady. Sharp gave the names Bradley and Bradshaw in regards to the men who mm. may have had something to do with her death and said that they were from Melbourne and that they were allegedly paid $1,000 to kill Margaret. Wow. This tip is consistent with what we do know, even with all of the many loose ends that we can't totally tie up. Sharp also made note that Esme had told her that she was constantly in fear for her own life. She had told Sharp that she was worried that he was going to, quote, get rid of her
0: and that Ooh. she didn't know what to do. Oh, my gosh. This took a crazy turn.
1: Crazy dark turn. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think about it for a second. Even if he didn't disappear, Margaret, Yeah. even if he had nothing to do with it. That's a scary, abusive man. Yes. And it's a bummer that all he did was just get ahead at other people's expense. Yeah. That's a real bummer. Yeah. It's just slimy. Just a slimy guy. And I feel bad for Esme.
0: Yeah. That's. uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when Townsend went to go plead with Esme once again (laughs) in 1978, she was still hesitant, despite the fact that Stanley had already died. She told Townsend, quote, I'd like to help, but I'm too frightened. End quote. Why would she be frightened if he was dead?
0: Hmm.
1: Maybe if there were other people involved who would be implicated if she decided to talk?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's possible. So in 1993, Townsend was sent to visit Esme Livingstone one last time in the nursing home that she was living in, in hopes that since she was likely nearing the end of her life, that they could appeal to her to tell them everything she knew about what happened to Margaret Clements. Unfortunately, Esme died before they could conduct the final interview most likely taking the secret of what happened to Margaret with her to the grave. Wow. Townsend maintained for years and years that it was his most sincere belief that Stanley had killed Margaret in a fit of rage. Mm. Considering what Esme had told friends, she was witness and sometimes potentially victim to his fits of rage. And Mm. and outbursts like that sounded like they weren't uncommon. Right. And then as Townsend put it in regards to Margaret, quote, he had everything to gain from her being off the scene. He wanted her house, end quote. Yeah. Many people who've worked the case, as well as armchair detectives across the world, also believe that this is the most likely scenario of what happened to Margaret. Stanley truly fits the bill better than anyone else, Hmm. in my opinion. Another reason why many, myself included, believe that this whole case was a calculated effort on Stanley's part is that in a will made in 1925, Margaret had made her nephew, Clement Carnahan, and her three nieces, the beneficiaries of Tullery. So she had a plan for the land.
0: Oh, yeah. So for her to sell it off to somebody else would have kind of upended some Mm -hmm. of that. Hmm.
1: Yep. They were shocked when suddenly she sold Tullery to Livingstone. The original agreement was that she would sell it for $25,000, but they ended up convincing her to sell it to them for $6,000 with the caveat of her living on the land wow. in a restored cottage for the rest of her life. They got a steal on that. Wow! Like, I'm going to emphasize the word steal. Hmm. Carnahan went to court to contest the will after Margaret had disappeared, stating that she was not in the right state of mind to have ditched the will it made no logical sense that she'd sell the whole of Tullery to a random neighbor before mysteriously vanishing. His claim was denied. The disappearance of Margaret Clement was looked into again in 2008, and the current state of the case is that unless new information comes to light, we'll probably never know what happened to her, where she went, or how it all played out.
0: Wow, that is a bummer of a story.
1: It is. It's a real bummer of a story. But this is the kind of thing that, like, I feel like stories like that keep people from being lost in time. Yeah. Because she was forgotten by friends and family, you Mm -hmm. know, she was, she was all alone, you know, and kind of just time goes on and you forget about the old lady who disappeared. And so I feel like telling these stories, even though it's sad and it's like hard to imagine a poor little 72 year old lady being killed, yeah. Like, probably brutally, I'm going to guess. I mean, that's obviously speculation, but when you, when you think about those things and you think about how tragic it is, it really makes you reflect on knowing what's going on around you, you know, right. caring about the way that the justice system works. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Well, and I, I'm assuming, if it's come up as recently as 2008, that there's some... Uh, descendant of of the original nephew or whoever mm-hmm. that cares and wants yeah you know wants that land for their own family but yeah and i don't blame them for yeah. that at all but then you know it there's there's just a lot of i feel like unfortunate isn't the right word it's the closest i can think of right now it's just yeah it's really unfortunate and like The worst way, not in like the, oh man, that's a bummer too bad. Mm -hmm. But like in, wow, that to get screwed over like that affects generations. I
1: know know? the things. Yeah. That, that is a really sad story. Yeah, it is. So do you think we have time for one more missing 411 story? We have
0: time for one more and then it's off to bed with you.
1: Off to bed with me. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you about a very famous missing 411 story that has baffled and confused people across the globe. This is the story of Linda Ortega on September 22nd, 2012 53 year old Linda Ortega met up with her brother, 56 year old Eddie Huff in the Arkansas Ozarks near St. Joe, Arkansas. St. Joe is in North central Arkansas and it's a rural town of about 200 people. It's surrounded by the thick forests of Buffalo river national park. The area is known for its winding rivers, valleys, and hiking trails, As well as for its beauty. This place is gorgeous.
0: Fun fact, this is the second place that you've mentioned in this episode that I've been to before.
1: Kevin, are you trying to get Missing (laughs) 411 Cheese and Pete's. All right, so Linda had come to town from Blackwell, Oklahoma to visit her family. And while she was in town, her brother invited her to join him on a hike. He'd heard about a fishing spot that he wanted to check out. And it made sense to look for it because the forest they were walking in was full of these like small bodies of water. So a new hopping fishing spot really isn't out of the area. You know, Mm -hmm. people are testing out new ones all the time. Like, I found a really cool one here. You should go there. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So they were walking down the trail and Eddie gets to an area where he believes is close to the fishing spot he'd heard about. So the two of them left the trail in search of it. After a bit of time had passed without finding the fishing spot, they realized that they had lost track of the trail. They initially weren't super freaked out about being lost because it was still bright outside, but once it got dark and they still couldn't find the trail, that's when they became a little worried. Hmm. What was supposed to be a peaceful few hours walking and fishing together had turned into a nightmare scenario. Two people lost in the woods with no provisions, no shelter, and no way of contacting friends or family. They spent all of the second day in search of the trail, but they still couldn't find it. So they were forced to sleep out in the forest once again. Oh. So we're two days yeah. and nights yeah. out in the forest at this point. Linda had ditched her flip-flops early on in the ordeal, and the two had done their best to gather edible plants and things like that while they were in search of the trail during daylight hours. Wow. So they how, did have some food. Yeah. How, how old are they? In their fifties.
0: Wow. I mean, good for them for knowing which plants are edible and, yeah. Yeah,
1: we'll talk a little bit more about that hmm. later. Okay. So at some point, the two got separated. Eddie had found his way back to the trail and out of the forest, believe it or not. On Monday, September 24th, 2012, Eddie just sort of casually drove home. His family was obviously shocked to see him. They asked him what had happened and where Linda was. Eddie told his family that everything was totally cool and he dropped Linda off with a family member and that she was fine too. Which like, Eddie, you've been missing for a few days. Like, where's Linda? She was with you when you left. What's going on here? He was obviously very confused. So as the family hounded him with questions of all kinds, it became obvious to everyone, including Eddie, that something was seriously wrong here.
0: He legitimately
1: could not remember what had happened, and he had no idea where Linda was either. No, It it was like his memory had been wiped.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: Let's just contemplate that for a second. That is like one of the... I wish you guys could see my face. My (laughs) eyeballs are like dinner plates like yeah,
0: they're about ready to bulge out of your head i know wow, look at that
1: look at it yeah i would immediately be very suspicious
0: well and i would be suspicious of eddie unfortunately uh,
1: unfortunately
0: but yes keep going i yeah. feel like there's more to this
1: there's a lot more to this <laughs> yeah. so the family was understandably upset and worried about eddie and about linda so they contacted the police and informed them that she was missing This place is very often visited by tourists, so people actually do get lost here somewhat regularly, at least enough so for searchers to have a solid game plan with, Mm -hmm. like, search and recovery efforts of lost people. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they get them out of the woods safely and pretty quickly, too. So investigators launched a search of about 75 to 100 people in the area where the two had initially gone missing, but they couldn't find her. Ooh. They searched for a few days, and they like, no sign of her at all. Oh, my God. So the likelihood of finding Linda alive at this point was not super high. Right. And the investigation sort of started to transition to like a search and recovery Mm -hmm. as opposed to a search and rescue. But then on Thursday, September 28th, five whole days after Linda had gone missing, there was a searcher who was on an ATV about two miles away from where Linda and Eddie had set out on their hike in the beginning. Mm. And he found Linda. What? This was in a super dense area of woods, but they found her alive and well, thankfully. So they brought her to the hospital to check her over for any injuries. And while she was a little scraped up, she was miraculously okay. Searcy County officials would go and talk to Linda to see if they could figure out what happened to her and her brother. Um, And just like her brother, Linda was extremely confused about the whole thing. As she sort of gained her bearings a bit, Linda was able to tell them what she remembered from her time in the woods. She told them the plan about the fishing hole, Mm -hmm. how they'd gotten lost when they left the trail, how they slept in the woods for two days, foraging whatever they could. And then when they woke up on day three, so Monday morning, Mm -hmm. Eddie was gone. She remembered feeling extremely panicked for some reason. She believed this was because she thought that Eddie was hurt, I guess. So she said that she started running frantically in the woods in search of help for Eddie. And that's when she ran into some hikers. She ran up to them and asked them for help. But when she did, she said that they all acted like they didn't see her or hear her. Oh! So she's far away from them at this point. But like she's yelling and screaming and running through the woods. Mm -hmm. And they all like were facing her direction, but not acknowledging her. Yeah. Which is strange. But she said when she got closer to them, they all scattered. Hiding behind trees and jumping under bushes. Oh, every so often she said that they would peer around the trees or stick their heads out of the bushes and that when they'd see her, they would pull their heads back in like they were hiding from her. Which like, can you get that image in your head and how terrifying that would be?
0: Yeah, I just got goosebumps like that's
1: that's my worst nightmare. Like
0: in both cases, I feel like whatever they think they're seeing, they have got to be like horrified. And if someone's doing that to me, a group of people like, I'm all of a sudden, like, really nervous. Like, what? what's going on? After you've you-
1: been lost in the wilderness for three days by right. yourself now? Right. So she was obviously super freaked out by this, so she started slowly backing up out of the area. She noticed these men occasionally continuing to peek their heads out from where they'd been hiding, and that they just stare at her. She then got this feeling that whatever these things were, that they were not good, and she needed to be as far away from them as she could possibly be.
0: Ooh, I just she- got... Really goosebumps. (laughs) It's
1: creepy. (laughs) Yeah. She recalled that throughout the whole ordeal, she would sort of lose time and her memory was kind of hazy about it. But on her final night out in the woods, she remembered laying down on the damp ground all alone or rather not alone at all. She could hear the sounds of footsteps all around her for the whole night. She couldn't remember exactly what day it was, but on either the last morning or on the second to last morning, as the sun was beginning to rise, she saw one of the scariest things that I have, I, I don't even have words for how freaky this is. So she said that there was just enough light out that she could sort of make out her surroundings. And she had this awful feeling like she was being watched. Mm. Out of the blue, she heard movement nearby. Around 60 to 70 feet away from her, she spotted the source of the noise. It was a large, dark man, a full-blown shadow person with no discernible features in the shape of a man. Aww. She knew that even though she couldn't make out any features, that he was staring directly at her. Like, she could just feel it. Oh, gosh. So, as she's shifting her eyes around to kind of take stock of her surroundings, she saw another shadow figure. And another. <sighs> and another. Oh. And another. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: And she realized that she was straight up surrounded by shadowy figures that were all staring right at her.
0: Oh, I don't like that. that- Hate it. <laughs> With my
1: whole heart. She said that as she looked around at all of them, it was almost as if they knew she could see them. And in that instant, the figures all turned around at the same time and bolted off in every direction into the woods. No. It was like they were staring at her until they knew that she could see them is how she felt.
0: Yeah. What? Ah. Oh, no. I can't, man. I Uh,
1: I can't. So she said that after that incident, there was nothing else that she could say that she fully remembered about her time. During her time in the hospital, while she was under observation, it was determined that Linda was of sound mind. Her doctor said that there really wasn't any reason to not believe what she was telling them. Like wow. what she's telling you is her best recollection and she's ah. trustworthy. Yeah. She was given a clean bill of health and released from the hospital. And to this day, she doesn't fully know or understand what happened to her. Many people, Linda included, do wonder if maybe the berries that they'd foraged could have had like hallucinogenic properties. Yeah. It's, it's possible. It's possible. But one element of the time that Eddie and Linda had spent in the wilderness before they got lost is that Eddie taught Linda some basic survival skills, including how to recognize foods that were safe to forage. Mm -hmm. Like they spent time doing that before they got lost. Yeah. Which is interesting. It feels like even if Eddie's knowledge of local plant life wasn't completely extensive, that he still should have at least enough knowledge to know if certain things were poisonous or potentially hallucinogenic.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It, it does take me back to, um, That, that Pixar movie, Uh (laughs) The Good Dinosaur. dinosaur. (laughs) Yeah. When they're just eating the
1: fermented fruit.
0: Yeah. They don't even know. And then they look down. Like switch heads. And and they realize, and all of a sudden, yeah, you go into a really, it's like, it's really trippy for Mm -hmm. a second.
1: (laughs) Well, a lot of people do believe that both of them were hallucinating. Yeah. It would explain like the lapses in memory, the weird sightings and all that sort of stuff. But still many more people are compelled by the stories of David Politis with the missing 411 stories. Mm -hmm. And those people believe that there was something a lot more serious than tripping on some berries happening. Right. So,
0: because ugh, aliens. aliens. Yeah, yeah, you knew where I was going.
1: <laughs> I knew. <laughs> there are stories just like this one that he covers in his books and on his YouTube and on podcasts and so on that are weirdly similar to Linda and Eddie's story. Hmm. Stories of people, including many women, who get lost in the woods and come out saying they were chased by shadow figures or quote men or quote wild men throughout the woods. Oof. and linda's story is not the only one like it in this specific area so no. who knows oh, maybe shadow people are out stalking the forests across north america trying to stay out of sight so they can continue doing whatever it is that shadow people do
0: <laughs> oh. and that is what i
1: have for this week's bonus episode
0: wow well thank you for uh utterly horrifying me welcome giving me all of the goosebumpery and uh
1: I can't take the trash out at night for this reason (laughs) and the hide behinds. It's these guys in the hide behinds.
0: That's actually what I was thinking about when you were talking about guys that were hiding behind things, but they were different than typical hide behinds. So
1: yeah, hide behinds won't eat you if you have alcohol in your system. Really? Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that they're more like Northeastern.
0: Oh, that's true. Okay. Well. Either way. Spooky. A lot, lot of spookiness. Which one spooked you the most? Oh, the last one. Easy. Yeah, easy. That one really spooked me.
1: I don't know if, if the grandma robot is, is true. I mean, like, that
0: one was definitely spooky. And there's a there's a definite eeriness to the second story. But the last one has the details that, mm-hmm. that paint a more vivid image. You know? I always
1: feel like if I don't make people a little bit sad... While I'm doing an episode (laughs) that I'm not doing my job. Yeah. So I got to make you sad and scare you.
0: Bum us out a little bit first. And then, yeah,
1: (laughs) that's kind of like my, my MO.
0: Yeah. Well, if you were listening and you have enjoyed these unusual unsettling and unsavory stories today, uh, we hope that you would subscribe Mm. and leave a five star review um, if you do that, it helps other people find the podcast. And if you subscribe, you never miss an episode. So really, everybody wins if you do that. Also, if you follow us on social media on TikTok and Instagram, we are at this one is a doozy. And uh, please let us know any of your thoughts, especially if you think any one of these stories was more unusual, unsettling, or unsavory than the others. Whichever one was your favorite, or We'd if you think they're fake, or if you think they're fake, <laughs> or if you—I believe Linda. I, I believe Linda was at least tripping pretty hard. At least. <laughs> at the very least. At the very least. <laughs> and at worst, she saw some crazy things. Also, if you have a personal story or a recommendation of a story, we want to hear it. Uh, you can email us at thisoneisadoozy at gmail.com. And also, I almost forgot, you can uh, also follow us on Facebook This one's a doozy podcast as well. Mm -hmm. We will interact with you on any of those platforms and we hope that you'd reach out and say, Hey, and give us your thoughts. And, uh, yeah, we are just so thankful for everybody who listens.
1: We are. Thank you guys.
0: Yeah. Well, with that, we will see you later this week because all of October we are doing bonus episodes. So you getting double the helpings of the doozies this month. Yeah, you are. So we will see you later this week another Ducey.
1: Thanks guys. Bye.